The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line. Greetings. Hey, welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, coming at you from Sioux Center, Iowa. That's right. I'm on location where I'm doing a speaking engagement for American State Bank and their agricultural clientele. I thought it'd be a great opportunity to talk to two ag lenders. I've got Eric Haveman and Josh Medsker. They are both ag lenders with American State Bank. That's Iowa's second largest agricultural lender. I thought, man, they can give us sort of a pulse, uh, a feel for what's going on, what's happening out here in in the, in the real world of agriculture and, and from the standpoint of the finances. So we're in the boardroom of this bank, and we're going to be talking to these guys about a lot of stuff that probably then you can uh, uh, take and glean information about what things look like in ag finance. Welcome to the show, Eric Havman. Welcome. And thank you for being a client. More importantly, this young guy that you brought under your wing, the, he's, a, he's the marketing, he's got a president, mar, pre, market share president, something like He's got a more impressive title than you, it's frankly. A, it's a big title, but uh, yeah, he's worthy of it. Josh, take the mic for a second and tell, uh, tell us you, your deal, Josh. Uh, yeah, I'm market president in one of our branches located here in Elvord, Iowa. I've just recently moved into that role in the past six months. All right. So, uh, dear listener and viewer, we are going to cover a lot of stuff about ag finance. You're going to hear what things look like from their perspective. You know, I always like to bring perspective. So we're going to talk about Midwest agriculture and the finances of agriculture from what these these folks are seeing right here. But also, we're going to do some big picture about where this industry is going. You know, Bitcoin's being talked about nonstop on business radio. We're all going to be getting our, our loans to buy combines through uh, cryptocurrency three years from now. I don't think so. We're going to get the perspective from the professionals. That's these two bankers. Before we go any further, a reminder that you not only can get your podcast where you listen to them, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, the Business of Agriculture also is a video. That's right. You can see the bank boardroom right here with me, Eric and Josh. If you'll go to the Damian Mason channel, so please go to YouTube and type in Damian Mason channel and hit subscribe. It does not cost you a nickel, but it'll help my viewership. It'll help some of my exposure so more people can see the great stuff that we're putting out with the Business of Ag and the Do Business Better podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution devised and created by my friend Nick Horb. He said, you know what? I'm not a software guy, but I see a need for a better product out here in the world of agriculture. So he set about creating a software product that could help agricultural enterprises be what they are supposed to be, and that is profitable. Go to harvestprofit.com for your free 14-day trial. All right, Eric Havman, Josh Metzger, Bankers, American State Bank. Tell us real quickly about American State Bank. American State Bank, uh, our home office here is uh, in Sioux Center, Iowa. We have various branch locations uh, throughout Sioux and Lyon County, uh, along with uh, a couple locations in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, we're heavily centered in agriculture. We have been that way for a long time and hopefully foreseeable into the future. Okay, how much of your business is agriculture? Well, when you look at our, our book of business, we're at about 40 to 45 percent uh, loans based on agriculture, whether that's uh, farm real estate, uh, whether that's crop, livestock, operating, 
uh, livestock facilities, etc. Okay, 40 to 45% of your book of business is agriculture. You're about a billion dollar in asset bank, and that makes you a community bank, but certainly a large scale community bank. Am I right? Correct. Uh, large scale community bank, um, you know, market share. We're first, we're first market share in our, in our location here in, in Northwest Iowa. I think you mentioned it, uh, second largest egg lender in the state of Iowa. Um, Okay, so we're calling this a view on farm level finances and the world of banking from uh, community ag lenders, which is what you are. So let's start uh, right there. Farm finances, spring of 2021. All right. I've been around long enough. So have you. Josh is getting there, um, came, you know, saw the bad 80s, uh, saw the whole things going crazy in the run between 2005, 2013, then saw the MPP program, and then it was CFAP one and two last year. Uh, people thinking, oh, my God, we're going to go broke out here in the world of agriculture. And then something crazy happened starting in July, going through fall, which is very atypical, a 40 to 70 percent run up in commodity prices that have now doubled. <sighs> Pretty crazy stuff, I think. Even bankers that don't do change very well uh, generally probably are like, this is getting nuts. This is getting nuts. So tell me what's it look like today and going back maybe even to last summer to today. Absolutely. So I'm just going to reflect back to a year ago at this time and just give you a little a little uh, a rundown of a, of a customer scenario that we had. Uh, he's a livestock feeder, uh, feeds hogs. He has his whole life, somewhat sizable. And at this time last year, due to COVID and uh, the packing plants being closed down, he had nowhere to go with his with his finished uh, with this finished market weight hogs. Sure. At that time, he was considering getting out of livestock altogether. Mm-hmm. Okay, fast forward uh, to the fall of of uh, last year, uh, he received a call from his accountant and said, "Don't claim any more income this year." So we went full circle from almost getting out of the industry. Yeah. To, to having a tax problem at the end of the year. Yeah. So you to refresh, if you're uh, if you're, say, in the, uh, the machinery business or the cranberry business, and maybe you say, what are they talking about? Uh, Josh, bring us up to speed. What, 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 what happened last spring after the whole COVID thing broke? You're out here in a very livestock oriented area, northwest Iowa, lots and lots of hogs, cattle and dairy. Tell us about that and what that did. And then we're going to bring it to forward. Yeah, we saw a variety of things that took place uh, over the past year, specifically at the beginning of COVID, um, mainly focusing on the crops. First of all, we saw markets drop, mostly due to um, a decrease in demand in our foreign markets. And at the same time, in our local economy here, packing plants were closing down. They were cutting back to... um, 50%, 25% 50%, 25% of their typical output. Not because they didn't want to manufacture process hogs, but because COVID. COVID, meaning that the workers were sick or that somebody tested positive or whatever. And so uh, for the person listening to this that doesn't understand how this was, go back and listen. A year ago, I was putting out podcasts about this very subject. In fact, I recorded a podcast with an Iowa hog producer, a very large scale one. And we talked about the fact that when you shut down 50% of processing, those piggies don't just hang around, you know, in the bus station waiting until the processing facility opens up because it's a constant pipeline. So some of those guys didn't get paid. Right. And we had customers trying to d- determine the best course of action for their operation, whether they were going to, you know, hold these hogs back and just try to delay them getting sent to market mm-hmm. to hopefully provide an opportunity for the plants to open. Uh, others didn't have that choice. 
but for the most part, everybody got through it about as good as they could have. All right. So you, this is going back spring, you know, like you say, of 2020, and things were real shaky, real, real dicey. And then the government started saying, but we're going to bail these folks out. So then the banks like you felt a little better, right, Eric? You're sitting there saying, okay, I <laughs> I don't want to be the bad guy that has to go and shut these people's money off when they also are getting killed because uh, of all the problems going on. What did it look like maybe uh, April, May, June of uh, 2020 with that whole scenario? Yeah, so along with having the challenges of delivering product and fighting through low prices, uh, it gets very emotional, okay? So uh, during those challenges, the government steps in. The first uh, program that that they uh, sponsored was the PPP program, okay? Mm -hmm. Putting money back into the pockets of those who need it. Uh, That was a paycheck protection, and a lot of our listeners that maybe aren't even that much on ag would say, well, wait a minute. These farmers, they don't have a whole bunch of payroll. That's not necessarily true. Yep, that that, uh, that was based off of uh, uh, different formulas on the operation. And so that money did make its way into the pockets of, of those in agriculture to a certain extent. But along with that, what was more impactful was uh, the CFAP 1 and the CFAP 2 payments, which came out soon after. And, and those payments were based on a percentage of raised and sold livestock uh, to make up for market losses at that time. Yeah, so we threw $51 billion of federal money at the farm sector last year, which any other time, but it was a record, by the way, a record ever. However, when they're throwing a trillion here and a trillion there, $51 billion seems almost paltry by comparison. So that money came into your market uh, place and it made it so you didn't have to go out there and shut anybody down. Did you have to shut anybody down? Did you have to close off anybody's spigots? Uh, not directly related to COVID. You know, there were certainly challenges in, in uh, agriculture over the last four to five years uh, due to depressed prices. Um, you know, where foreclosure or liquidation came into a, a specific scenario, but due to COVID, no. Okay. Um, back to my man, Josh over here. All right. So now we're coming to this year. You're, you're younger. You're 27. Eric's a little more like my age. So, um, we, we think, okay, I've seen this. Yeah, okay. This is interesting. And even we still say never seen it happen quite like this. Things went nuts, literally nuts starting in summer and then heading into fall and winter. Uh, first off, don't think this is quite normal because it's not. We don't normally double commodity prices in a six-month time frame. Am I right? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, what are you thinking? Well, you know, it was very drastic, but moving into <clears throat> excuse me, moving into renewal season at the end of last year, you could just tell that after everything people had been through the last six months prior to that, optimism was up. There was excitement about the opportunities now available with agriculture you know if you look back 12 months from now corn prices were below three dollars yeah right and we're putting together balance sheets that have five six dollar corn on it so that makes your balance sheet looks better that makes your cash flow look better overall it just provides an optimism in the industry which is nice because we haven't had that for about five years uh that's true. So, okay, right now, if I want to say what's positive and what's negative. So, you've got a bunch of these customers out here. You want to serve them. You want to keep their, their money line, you know, their, their, their money supply coming so they can keep doing their business. Positive is they've got a bunch of stuff that's worth more. Their land is worth more now. Their, their stuff that's in their grain bins is worth more. The stuff they're planting in the seed is going to be worth more come fall. That's all positive, right? Are there any negatives? Uh, there are certainly some negatives. You know, when we see this 
peak or this increase in commodity prices, there's just a ton of market volatility that we're seeing right now. And that makes it really difficult for our producers and customers to market their products, to plan ahead. Market volatility, meaning commodity prices? getting Commodity, yep. Hogs and cattle. That's green. green. Yep, exactly. Okay, so market volatility, meaning there's too many big swings, ups and downs? I think that's probably uh, somewhat a new normal. Are your, are your customers also reluctant to actually lock in prices because they it's the old thing, fear of missing out? Yep, that happens too. Okay, so then you go out there and say, hey, listen, man, for you to get your million-dollar or $2 million operating line, you've got to prove that some of this product is actually going to be sold. And how's that conversation go? Yeah, and I think that a lot of customers over the past few years have become more agreeable to that. Uh, they want to take advantage of the good prices that we have right now. Everybody wants to hit the high, but mm -hmm. typically when you're shooting for that, uh, you might end up on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, and many oftentimes do. Going back to my man, Eric. All right, Eric, you've been with the American State Bank for how long? Uh, 17 years. And you've been in ag lending for? 20 years. Okay. So you've seen a couple of things. Uh, what, do you th what, what do you see right now that concerns you? Um, like Josh said, the volatility in the market. Okay. So we're sitting here today feeling pretty good about ourselves. We've got grain at, uh, all time highs. You know, we've, mm -hmm. we've had the opportunity to sell, uh, old crop beans above $16. Okay. Mm -hmm. How often does that happen? Just for the, just for the listener that is in the cranberry business, tell them what old crop beans means. That's beans that was harvested, uh, in 2020, the fall of 2020. Versus the soybeans that were just being planted last week that are going to be new crop beans coming in this fall. Correct. So back to that market volatility, uh, there's so many outside influences that, that affect that, that's out of the control of the producer. Okay. So, so to bank on, on this prolonged period of time of increased prices is you're just, you're just fooling yourself, okay? So to make decisions moving forward is very difficult with not knowing uh, what's going to happen. Because in the big picture, you know, it's, it's not so much domestic demand. It's, become, it's becoming more of a global market, and that's, that's difficult to manage around. Certainly, it's, been, it's really been that way pretty much your whole career. I'd say we've been in a global uh, marketplace more than ever, you know, in the last 20 years. But don't kid yourself even, Eric. I mean, there was a thing called the grain embargo uh, under sure. Jimmy Carter in 1979 that upset the apple cart then. So we've had a global pressure for a while. Going back to local stuff, um, your customers feel pretty good about where things are. I imagine there's a little more glee, a little more, uh, a little more spring in their step than there was just, say, a year ago? Absolutely. You know, uh, with prices where they're at, with the amount of uh, government funds that were handed out, you know, I think there's a, a renewed optimism for agriculture, and it's really needed because the last four to five years, and we've talked about that a little bit here, have been have been difficult. And you know, let's face it, there's a lot of car past carryover loss out there yeah. that that's still got to be serviced. All right, so going to our our uh, our more youthful counterpart here, my man Josh, um, are you are you are you just of the point like you know what? Even though I've only been in this racket for six, five or six years, I wonder if maybe there's going to be another shoe fall here in another year or two. Is it, is it ha do you have that feeling? I feel like I'm pessimistic just based on when I started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of getting into the business back in 2016, um, you know, we worked through those five years of low commodity prices, hogs, cattle, everything kind of fluctuating. Now we're seeing this upswing. And so in the back of your mind, you're always 
kind of as a lender looking at worst case scenario, what could potentially happen here. But I do think that, um, you know, at least for the short term here with where we're at on supply for corn, beans, I think those prices are real. We may see some fluctuation down, but I do think that we're going to kind of hold steady here for the next six months until we kind of work through this planting season. I want you to explain something to our wonderful listener and viewer, because, again, we have some folks that listen to this that are not in the business of agriculture, and they use this as a resource, which I think is great. And so um, before we get into that, I want to remind the listeners that uh, we've got the the wonderful sponsor that you heard about up front in the pre-recorded part, Land Trust. Uh, and we also have Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution to help agricultural enterprises handle their inputs, their outputs, their capital, their inflows, even the the various farms they rent. As these two bankers can tell you, there's a lot of moving parts that happen on a modern agricultural operation. You don't want to be doing this with a notebook pad and a pen anymore when you've got that much money. So go to HarvestProfit.com and see if they have a software solution that you could use to make your operation more profitable and get a free 14-day trial with that that very product. All right. So the average person, like my, I live in Arizona six months of the year, uh, or five months this year, I guess it was, um, at my winter home. And I've got neighbors there and, and they think they're rich because they have a nice house in the suburbs and they have a mortgage payment and they might have a car loan. When they think about lending, that's what they think about. You are doing a hell of a lot different stuff here. So you got somebody here that's a grain farmer and a dairy or a grain farmer and also has a bunch of hog facilities or a cow-calf operation or a feed yard for beef. Tell the listener what these people come to you and need because it ain't just a mortgage on a house in the suburbs. It's a little more complex. Yeah, we get customers for a variety of reasons. Um, we, we offer financing on farm real estate. So tillable acres that come up for sale. We've got customers coming in for those needs. Um, livestock operations, operating notes for cattle, for hogs. So operating note for cattle, for hog. That means you're loaning against a live animal. Correct. Yep. Animal dies. Hope they have enough to make up for the rest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Continue. Uh, we do operating notes for the crop production side of things as well. Okay. Explain that to the person that's my suburb neighbor in Arizona. They're like, what are you talking about? When you say, yeah, they might need a million dollars in March. Sure. So a customer will just start November, December. Harvest is done for the previous year. They've got inputs to purchase for the coming year's crop. You've got your seed, your fertilizer, your chemicals, variety of inputs that go into it uh, before you even put the planter in the field. And how many dollars, just if you say, okay, somebody farms 4,000 acres, how many dollars per acre might those inputs amount to? Uh, depending on the operation and the crop, you know, with corn, it could be five, $600 an acre. And 4,000 acres times $500 is? A lot of money. $2 million, yes. <laughs> All right. So the point is there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving parts. Uh, then also buildings. I'm driving here to Sioux Center, and I see a whole bunch of livestock production facilities. You loan money for those? Yep. Swine facilities, cattle facilities, uh, chicken facilities we've done financing for. Okay, so I've got a chicken facility out here in northwest Iowa. I need money. If I have my house in Arizona, I can get a 30-year note. What's a note term on a chicken barn? Uh... Probably more so 10, 15 years. Okay. I can get 3% money for my house in Arizona. How much am I paying for a percentage on a chicken barn in Northwest Iowa? Depends on the programs that we use, but uh, could be anywhere from mid threes to 5%. Okay. 
Uh, I just uh, always throw this out there because I always have to explain to my suburban friends there's a lot of money that happens out here. Uh, how much does a combine cost if somebody wants to buy a combine? For you listeners that aren't ag people, that's the harvesting machines that you see driving <laughs> around out here in the summer and fall. Uh, it's going to be a few hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, these operations, back to my man here, Eric. Um, customer base, you've been here for a long while. You know them in general. Where are they going? What's going on with your customers? Um, they're hoping to expand and they're hoping to grow the family farm. And, and that's been the story for years and years long, and long years. Time, right? And and it's it presenting a problem because uh, succession planning is one of those key buzzwords out there. And uh, it's it's how do you get that next generation on the farm? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the the son, the daughter, whatever, how do you get them involved in the operation? Um, you know, not only from an ownership standpoint, but even from uh, a cash flow standpoint to pay their wage. Yeah. So mom and dad have the family farming operation. And by the way, most farms are family operations, although they might be set up as LLCs or C corps or whatnot. Um, then they say, okay, junior wants to come back or, and there's not really quite enough here for us and junior. Yep. (laughs) Then what? Then they say, well, we got to buy some more. Yeah, that's difficult. And that's a real problem, a real scenario that we face here. And that's when off-farm income comes into play mm-hmm. to kind of bridge that gap between the time where, where dad is involved in the operation to the time where mom and dad are ready to get out and retire and yeah. for junior to be uh, uh, more involved. For junior to be involved, then uh, the old story, then junior needs to marry a teacher. Isn't that usually the thing? Uh, <laughs> uh, insurance a, purposes? Yeah, so, so junior marries a school teacher and she um, has really good insurance yep. and uh, then also has summers off so she can help on the farm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, your book of business, it looks pretty good right now. Were things dicey and shaky last year enough that you, you really like thought, man, if we have another couple of years like this, we're going to have 10% less customers, 20% less customers. Did you start thinking how things looked? Um, yeah. You know, loan losses are, are a real thing. Um, we don't like to talk about it, but uh, we have to acknowledge it and plan for it. Um, the difficulty with that is uh, banking, uh, egg banking is, is a relational uh, industry. And, um, you know, when we talk about less customers down the road, what that typically means then is that... Uh, foreclosures, liquidations, farm sales. And that's very difficult from a relational standpoint because that's hard. That's a tough thing to go through, both for, both from a lender standpoint and the borrower standpoint. It's emotional. Is there, you know, I, in the 80s, they talked about farmer suicide rates. Yep. You know, there's some reality to that. and It's, it's tragic and sad. What are those, uh, by the way, when you lose, if there's a farming operation that, you know, goes through some financial difficulties and they say, we're going to liquidate. Do you then still basically keep the same asset and then one of your other customers buys the three hog barns that went defunct and the acreage? I mean, is it essentially stay the same dollars for you as the lender? Well, you're talking about a farm sale now and uh, that can happen. Absolutely. Because, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad deal. But yeah, the neighbor down the road, you know, if he can expand, if he can grow his operation uh, due to the neighbor getting out of the industry, that's that's reality, and and that neighbor might be our customer. Why do farms fail? And I know that if the the non ag person, because I get this sometimes from my suburban friends, they say, "Well, I saw on um, especially NPR or a more 
left-leaning news source. They want to always paint the picture that factory farms uh, are putting this small, and they'd love to show a picture of a little old man and woman in their bib overalls with a Farmall H out there in front of their uh, clay tile silo. And I'm like, well, if they're still doing things like 1953, they probably do need to be out of mm-hmm. business. Um why do farms fail? Why do these farming because they're businesses, you know, it's not it's not the crop failure because there's crop insurance for that. What do you see? Well, the simple answer to that is that their uh, cost of production exceeds what they're getting back uh, from sales. Okay, okay, that's the simple answer. Yep. So, you know, what that means then is uh, uh, they could be bad producers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um they they're challenged with uh, raising cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're challenged with crop production. Okay. Uh, the other thing which is most impactful is that they are suspect to whatever the market has at that time of a sale. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if the market is saying we're going to give you three dollars and fifty cent for corn, uh, it's tough for them to hold out when they have a loan payment due, or they got to pay the elevator bill mm-hmm. uh, when it's only three fifty. You know mm-hmm. they can't hold out for five because you know, there's an uncertainty that five dollars isn't going to come. Mm-hmm. So that becomes the mental part of it, but you know, it's not, is it, is it they're scared? I mean, there's another part of it. I, I would imagine that I think, is it, I, I think it's probably more the business, uh, the business problem than the production problem. Am I right? I would, I agree with that. And, um, and what that relates to is the marketing side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I once had a farmer tell me that, uh, he was very good at controlling the production on his yard. And, and okay, so this is a 20-year-old story. And at that time, he said, hey, I'm very confident that my production uh, will take care of itself. I'll sell at the highs, and I just want the sale at the highs to be a little bit more than when I sell at the low. Okay? okay. Seasonal things, right? Right. Today, that's not the case. Okay? They've got to be, one, still good at production. Yeah. But they've got to be really savvy and really good at marketing mm-hmm. because uh, things certainly are not normal. Uh, you know, like they maybe were 20 years ago. And when we say marketing, we don't mean putting a sign out front that says, uh, I've got great uh, Angus cattle here. They're talking about marketing in terms of pulling the trigger on your puts and your calls and your selling of your commodities. Absolutely. Um, when you uh, when you look at them, what is the thing that they get wrong when it comes to their money? Why does it, I mean, is it the same thing as most business people? I could go to a dry cleaner. I could go to a, a restaurateur and say, you make really good cheeseburgers or you really clean the hell out of that shirt. But you know what you don't do? You're not investing in the thing that makes you money and you're investing in stuff that doesn't make you money. Or I could usually find a, a money habit or a lack of salesmanship or some problem. Usually that's a business problem, not a producing problem. Is that what you you can look at and see i think so in some cases you know if you're a cattle feeder um and uh you're buying replacements but you can't market them today uh when they're fat and they're sale ready at a profit but you need your yards full because you've got to generate income you've got to put that corn through them to make that sale you know so what are you going to do you know these are the these are the challenges these are the questions they face um, and, and so either the yard sit empty, no income's rolling in, or at that time you're, you're, you're buying cattle that are projected to sell at a loss. Uh, Josh, you, your observation here as a, uh, as a young banker, one thing that every farm operator could do that most don't to make themselves more financially strong. Uh, yeah, Eric kind of already touched on it, knowing your cost of production. I think that's been pushed the last probably 10, 15 years or forever, yep. but more so 
recently that guys have to know their cost of production and that feeds into the marketing side of it too. If you don't know what your break even is, how do you actually accurately market your commodities? Yeah. So you get to where you think you know what your break even is and then say, so every time there's a nickel over that, I should go ahead and seize that nickel. Right. Yeah. The old thing, you can't go broke by uh, make, locking in a profit. Correct. Yep. Although you also can't uh, buy a winter home some warm place <laughs> if you if you lock in your profit at too small of a number, right? Yep. Uh, <clears throat> give me a case study. Anything without naming names. Something you've seen here in the last uh, year or two that you're like, you know what? I want to tell that story to other people so they either see it as a positive or understand the negative. You got one to go over? I can give you a... Okay, case study. Is this, is this a case study good, case study bad? I wouldn't say it's a case study. More of an example of how you can get yourself into trouble. Uh-huh. Okay? And, and this is more balance sheet related. And so leverage is kind of a big buzzword for us in, in the egg banking uh, side of things. And whether, whether you've expanded too fast um, or whether that you've had too many years of losses, um, if you're too leveraged up and you're facing a loss scenario, uh, you might not have the ability uh, to to restructure out of that, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and for a couple reasons, maybe there's no value there from the asset side, or maybe you don't have the cash flow ability to service that debt, okay? So then really what you're looking at is, is a sale of assets, okay. and, in, and in some cases, um, a farm sale, liquidation. And so leverage is something that we really key in on and monitor a lot. Um, so our relationships. Yeah, your concern is um, when you're over levered, then it becomes you've got to get rid of the assets. And the old thing that uh, I remember reading once, uh, and it was in a Hemingway book about people that lived off of trust funds. You're fine as long as you never touch the capital asset. Exactly. <laughs> you know, bankruptcy is a real thing and it happens. We just want to make sure that we don't finance them into bankruptcy. You're a smaller bank. I want to hear from Josh. There's a lot of different ways to get money. There's a lot of people out here loaning money. Right? Why do people bank with your bank? Yeah, I mean, competition's real. It's always been a threat. Uh, What we try to do is provide a real relationship with the customer. We want to gain their trust, build trust, and then provide a partner in their operation to a certain degree to help them out. Uh, We're not just here. They ask us for money. We give them money. You know, we want to give them help, advice, any way that we possibly can. Uh, And I think that at the end of the day, our customers appreciate that. We're out in the community. We're active. You know, our kid, kids go to school with their sure. kids. And, I, and yep. I get all that. And the thing is, I don't disagree. And I bank with a community bank, so I, I appreciate all that. I also have uh, cooperatives that want to loan me money. I have, uh, if I were buying equipment, the equipment seller wants to finance me. Uh, input providers want to finance me. I got a postcard from a company that everyone listening right now probably knows what I'm talking about that told me they would loan me money. Um this seems like there's a lot of money just floating around out here that you can access. Am I right? Yeah, you're correct. And like I said before, there's always competition and we're aware of that, but we, at the same token, we try to be as competitive as possible. And at the same time, we also like to think that we can provide you extra, uh, assistance along the way. Sure. We, we take it one step further rather than, you know, if you're, if you're selling inputs and you're going to provide financing on that, they're not necessarily going to have your back if you run into a challenging issue. Whereas we feel as though we can provide you some assistance in that situation. All right, Eric, 
what makes you what concerns you and what gives you optimism when you look at the future of ag well i think uh one of the concerns that i have is um uh again it's a global market okay um what's china going to do tomorrow mm-hmm. how are they going to influence the market either in a positive or negative way usually negative but yes <laughs> and and how is the rural farmer in iowa going to have to react to that mm-hmm. okay so i think that's a challenge and it's always going to be present that goes back to that marketing thing that we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. uh, i think another challenge in the industry is the corporate farms okay so so how does how does your average family farm compete with the big corporate farm out there that's that's maybe uh driving driving prices in some scenario or buying up farm ground uh at a price that's just not reasonable to buy okay yeah now by the way this is something that a lot of people don't understand because they hear again they tune into npr and they hear uh, a reporter from new york that's never produced one calorie of food say and these evil corporate farms when you say it what are you talking about are you talking about that they're bringing in outside capital and that they can operate at a loss for a couple of years and then and or what do you what is it that you're describe what you're i think the i think the best answer to that you know without going into specifics and and pointing a finger at someone is is their balance sheet uh is structured and looks completely different than, than what the family farm looks like. Okay, yeah. um, the family farm, they've got their 80 acres that they own, they've got the homestead, uh, they've maybe got a livestock facility. You're dealing, you're dealing, you're going up against a billion dollar balance sheet with some of these corporate farms and that's just not a fair fair playing field. Yeah, uh, th- hasn't that always been the case? It, it has been the case and that, that threat has been there, but I think that threat is only going to grow and become more challenging as time goes on. Now take this the right way. There'd be people that would look at some of the people that you work with, some of your customers, and say, well, they're a corporate farm because they've got several thousand acres. They own half of it, and they've got six livestock facilities, and they've got five uh, different people, investor owners, whatever. So what's the answer there? Is there – because it's it's always going to be – And it's real. Yep. You know, you just just look at it uh, from a size standpoint. You know, what's the price discovery options – for a livestock feeder today that's got 20, 30, 40,000 cattle on feed where they can go to JBS, yeah. uh, they can go wherever and, and price those cattle versus a guy that's selling 300 every six months. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking for sure, probably more so on the livestock side than you are in a vertically integrated livestock exactly. than you are on the cropland. Correct. Yeah, you're talking about a feed yard that, like you said, produces 300 fat cattle every six months versus that has 40,000 and yep. mega investors, et cetera. And they have a tremendous amount more on the prices they can demand. Yep. Correct. Or command. Uh, what makes you optimistic? You've been around 20 years. What makes you optimistic about this business? Um, that's a good question. I think what makes me optimistic is that, uh, the farming industry, it's, it's people that work hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're committed to what they do. Um, they communicate very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, overall the population both domestically and globally is not going down. Okay. It's increasing. So those people have to be fed. So whether you're in Iowa, whether you're in Missouri, whether you're in Minnesota, you know, we're raising, we're raising food to feed the world Mm -hmm. and that's not going to go away. What do you see, Josh, that uh, you say concerns you? And then what do you see that makes you optimistic about the business? 
Yeah, I, I think we've touched on a number of those issues already, you know, being market volatility, mm. marketing being a concern. Mm. Uh, like Eric just mentioned, we've got a growing population. The world needs to for, for a while, but you'll hear more about that in my presentation later today. Okay. Uh, we're we're, we're going to level off sooner than, people, than we think is my prediction, uh, but uh, that's okay. It'll affect us less than you because you're younger than us. Um, optimism. Yeah, I think we've got excellent producers mm -hmm. that do a good job of producing their crop. Um, very innovative. We're using technology more than ever. This helps to increase production. Obviously, the more production you have, the more you can sell, which in turn helps the farm. Um, you know, so there's a lot of lot of ways that we've seen producers improve over the past number of years. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, I would say that environmentally is something that we should tout because we've gotten so darn good at uh, using less resources than we ever have to produce one calorie. We use less natural resources per calorie than we ever have in the 10,000 year history of agriculture. All right, back to the back to the head cheese here. Eric Havman, American State Bank, Northwest Iowa. What did we not cover with you and Josh that we should have? What did we not ask? What thing did we, what topic did I not get to? You're putting me on the spot now, aren't you? Uh, that's what I do sometimes. Is there a topic that you wanted to tell anybody about what it's like, what you see, what you see, the perspective you have that many wouldn't because you're out here and you see, see you see a lot of different farming operations from a different lens. You see it from their money. Um, are you seeing anything that the average person doesn't see? Is anything you think that most people wouldn't know? You know, I think when you get outside of the Midwest, okay, and and maybe more to the coast and definitely the bigger inner cities, there's a lot of sensitivity to uh, uh, livestock production, mm -hmm. okay? Um, Cage-free birds, um, good practices yeah. with yeah. hogs. Humane treatment, yes. uh, manure, you know, manure management. Yes, uh, and, and absolutely we have to be good stewards of the land and we have to have uh, fair treatment of animals. I'm not saying we don't. But uh, there's a lot of sensitivity to that. You know, go down to your local fast food restaurant and, you know, we have, we have hamburgers that don't come from uh, cattle. We have non-beef non uh, burgers. You know, is that going to grow? Is that going to be a trend? You know, it seems like people outside of livestock uh, uh, areas, you know, they're sensitive to that and, and they don't want to eat hamburger anymore. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of push for um, for non livestock derived protein, and, and Bill Gates, and we'll be talking about that later, is uh, is a big pusher on that. Um, I don't see it uh, happening all that quickly because I think that uh, humans really like bacon and they really like cheeseburgers and they really like chicken wings. I mean, there's a shortage of chicken wings going right now. I'm not. Yes. And I'm not saying it's, it's the, the real threat today, but it, it does concern me moving forward. Yeah. Just because I think those people on the coast and their cities, they're, they're not educated uh, to what is real out here. Right. In farm country. Yeah. So there it's, it becomes more easily manipulative and manipulated when uh, they, they think that they're doing something out of goodness. Because yes. if I don't eat these cheeseburger, it means I'm saving something, something. Yes. I'd agree with that. All right. Anything else before we wrap this episode up of the business of agriculture? I'm going to go ahead and remind our listeners and our viewers that uh, Harvest Profit, uh, they've been good to me. Be good to them. Go to HarvestProfit.com if you'd like to check out a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. You know what? 
Nick Horeb, uh, created a good product. He also writes articles. You can go to his website, Harvest Profit, and you can see some articles on there that uh, might help your operation also. Brief little reads that are pretty well thought through and uh, well-written. So go to harvestprofit.com for a free trial of software that you can use on your ag enterprise. Anything else, my friends? I'm good, Josh. See, you jo- and Josh was nervous. Well, I thank you guys for being on and giving us perspective of farm level finances, what farms are dealing with, what what we're seeing, the remarkable change that we have just in the last eight months, nine months, uh, and also where the struggles are. So uh, I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. Thank you for tuning into the Business of Agriculture podcast, sponsored by Land Trust. Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities, and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com BOA are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.